right? All of them, yeah. All right, now it's working. Okay, so today I have, I have to give a shout out to my buddy Josh. Um, he was talking to me we, we, during practice or during our music practice one Saturday night or something. He was talking to me, hey, you got this, this group, Salos. Begins with a P, silent P. Salos, and they take uh, scripture and turn it into song. And uh, one of the ones that they did that we like a lot is the book of Hebrews. And I think we've even shared with Roger, and Roger listened to it. So this group takes these, I mean, starts at the beginning of a, of a book. They're, they're trying to get through all the epistles as their, their, their goal. I think they've got through what? Three or four, four of them. Um, I think Hebrews is my favorite so far. Uh, just the, the the breadth of, the, of their musical talents and stuff that they're using for God, um, and they're using it in a way that it, I know for me, and I think Josh too, he's mentioned it. It really inspires me to really dig into the Scripture more and get really interested in it more. Kind of, it's just like a, something about lighting a fire under me or whatever. Um, the song we sang just a little bit ago that Josh sang and played. Uh, was one of the songs from that album of Hebrews. Um, and uh, like I said, the, the, the whole, it's not like they have like, okay, we stick with this genre of music. I mean, they, they do everything. It starts out as like a bluegrass thing, and then they do some like, you know, folk, folk type song music. They've got some kind of a kind of a swing type stuff. I mean, it's, it's great. And like I said, it really, really brings scripture to life from, for, for me at least, uh, so uh, that got me thinking about Hebrews some more, and when Pastor Kurt said, I need somebody to preach, I said, okay, we'll, we'll do something in the book of Hebrews. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been just pretty much studying Hebrews, and you know, I've read it before, but really, really until you, I guess until I have, for me anyway, until I have a really good, good reason to really get in deep, deep dive into it, I, I don't really do that well. That's something I need to work on. Um, so I've been deep diving into Hebrews. We're going to learn a lot of stuff, and I really couldn't decide what part of Hebrews I want to talk about. So I'm just going to do a scratch the surface, 10,000-foot view of the whole book. Uh, maybe it will inspire some of you to say, hey, I want to find out more about this, because um, if it doesn't, well, you can sit there and smile at me while I talk, I guess. That would be good, too. All right, so in Hebrews... Um, you know, there's, there's so much theology in this book of Hebrews. Probably one of the best books at tying the Old and New Testament together, I think. Could be studied for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like I said, we're just going to scratch the surface today, give a quick overview. And uh, like I said, hopefully it, it'll help you. Uh, if you've never really thought about Hebrews, studied that much before, maybe this is this will get you to uh, start, start looking into it. Because there's so much stuff in uh, it's It's one of the... It could be even one of the most challenging books, I guess, to understand. And because you, you really, like I said, it, it ties stuff, so much stuff in the Old Testament to the New Testament, and and it really makes you makes you think about about things in a different way. I think. But first of all, I think it's always important when we start talk, talking about uh, scripture, start with some background. Um, it's a lot easier to understand for me, much better what what the book of what scripture talking about when we know the context and historical situations that go with the passage. So 
Uh, some of the background here, we'll start with the author. Um, now, there's various opinions uh, by a lot of different scholars throughout centuries who wrote this epistle to the Hebrews. Um, actually, in, in the King James Bible here I have, it says at the beginning of the, beginning of the book, I have a mark here. It says, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Hebrews. So whenever they wrote the King James Bible, the common belief, at least at that time, was that Paul wrote this epistle. And, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's a few reasons that, that people say that. Uh, a couple that I I kind of looked at this week and, and from some people that, that the scholars that I, I like to, to study, uh, they have a couple First of all, the salutation that recognize Pauline epistles the what's basically his style when he when he ends an epistle uh, and ends his letters he it's practically the same in this letter as it is in all of Paul's other letters so kind of a similar thing kind of gives you a clue maybe it could be Paul um, another reason probably a better one has to do with some scripture be um, from First Peter. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says in 1 Peter 1, 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, uh, Peter, we, of course, he has two epistles. 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Those are letters that he wrote to a group of people. And we learn uh, in the first epistle that Peter sent his epistle to Hebrew Christians in the dispersion scattered throughout certain provinces and Asia Minor. That would be two Pontius Galatians. Those are all provinces. Um, and it says that they're strangers scattered throughout there. That means that these are Jews who are strangers in this Gentile land. That's what it's talking about here. So, um, and since he's talking to believers, we know they're, they're Christians. So it's Hebrew Christians is who's, who Peter sent his first epistle to. Then in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds ever by way of remembrance. So the second epistle that Peter wrote sent to the same people, the Hebrew Christians and the dispersion. Um, so we can see there who Peter wrote to, okay? And he wrote both of his epistles to the same same group of people. Um, now in that same chapter, Second Peter chapter three verse fifteen, it says, "An account that the long suffering of our Lord of salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you." So right there, starting to say, Peter saying, "Hey, uh, to these people, he's wrote his epistle to. Hey, Paul has also wrote an epistle to you." Um, and in in verse sixteen, it says, "Also all all his epistles, speaking in them." Of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they are unlearned and unable to rest, as they do other scriptures unto their own destruction. Um, so Peter's saying, okay, folks, remember that uh, I sent you a first letter? Well, this is my second letter. And in the second letter, I'm going to talk, talk to you about some of the things that Paul sent a letter to you about. Remember that? And these are hard things to understand. And... Uh, Coincidentally, maybe not coincident, because it's God's word, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about things that are hard to understand too. Uh, and and uh, I think it's in verse 
five and five and six. I'm sorry, chapter five uh, says you're still you're still uh, babes, and you 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 need milk. You're not ready for the steak yet. Not ready for the meat, the hard stuff. So uh, Peter, you know, has has alluded there that that uh, the things that I'm writing are the same things that Paul wrote to you, and they're hard things to understand. And by the way, conclude from this that Paul Paul Paul's other letters that are in the Bible. He says, "I wrote them. I wrote this." He has his name in there, and uh, we don't know, you know, since this this one is left over, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, we therefore can can kind of assume that Paul wrote this to the same believers that Peter's talking about because that's the only epistle left without a name, I guess, who, who wrote somebody. So, um, so that's why some a lot of people believe that Paul wrote this epistle. Now, there are also other opinions that say Paul is not the author. This is due to Paul calls out authorship in all of his other epistles. You know, in everything else that Paul wrote, he says, hey, I'm Paul. I wrote this to you for this reason. Um, he didn't do that. The author didn't do that in the book of Hebrews. Um, also, one statement in, that kind of supports this is in 2 Thessalonians 2.2. 2, it says that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from as from us at the day of Christ is at hand. This is Paul. Paul's letter to Thessalonians, the second one. Um, and he says, "Don't be, don't be, uh, pers- don't be fooled, because somebody sent you a letter that is as if they had sent it to us. So that means that there was forgeries of letters coming around that were being sent around, and they're talking about the day of Christ at hand. So there's, there's, there's other people saying they're Paul, forging Paul's name, and writing and saying, hey." That day of the Lord is coming. You guys be ready. Paul says, no, that's not us because we all know that Jesus is the only one who knows when Jesus is coming back is God himself, the Father. So um, so uh, the other thing uh, that Paul had, had insisted multiple times is that uh, he received the gospel from Jesus himself. Um, it says in Galatians 1.11, says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I got the gospel directly from Jesus. Um, but in Hebrews 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 3, the author says, how, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which is at first began to be spoken by the Lord. So salvation message of the gospel was spoken first by Jesus, the Lord, and then was confirmed to, unto us by them that heard him. So there was a group of people, like the apostles, who heard Jesus talking about the gospel, about salvation. They witnessed it themselves, and it said that the author here says uh, it was confirmed to us, by you know, him included, uh, that heard it from the apostles. So he heard it secondhand. That is in conflict with what Paul says. Paul says he heard it firsthand. So that's some of the arguments to say that Paul is not the writer. Uh, you know, in the end, though, it's not the biggest deal whether Paul is or not the writer, whether Barnabas wrote it, whether Luke wrote it. Maybe it was a sermon that Paul preached somewhere. Some ex- ex- call it exhortation. Uh, 
and maybe Luke was there with him, and Luke wrote it down, because Luke was a very good writer, and the book of Hebrews is written very well. Um, could have happened. Um, in the end, God knows, and that's what impo what's important, and if it was important for us to know, God would have told us. So that's not something to get really hung up about too much, I don't think. Um, more background, when it was written, well, we know for sure that it was after the day 32 AD, because that's when Jesus died, because it's about Jesus and, and how he's much better. And we know it was before 96 AD, because Clement of Rome, which is an early church leader, referred back to the Epistle of Hebrews in one of his letters in 96 AD. So there's, okay, here's two definite ends of when it was written. Other clues. Hebrews, refer, Hebrews refers to simple rituals and sacrificial systems of the Mosaic Law in present tense, as if they are still being performed at the time that it was written. Now, the second Jewish temple, uh, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Romans uh, in 70 AD. And that is when all the sacrifices and the Mosaic rituals, that's when they stopped. Uh, and there's no, no mention of the temple's destruction in Hebrews, so we pretty much assume that the epistle was written before 70 AD. And another thing to think is, if it was written by Paul, it could not have been written after about 67 or 68 AD, because that was when Paul was beheaded by, by Nero. Uh, so the guy can't write it. He's not around, right? Uh, several other sources I've studied would say the letter is what I would think. Probably written between 64 to 69 AD. So that's, that's the kind of time period that I kind of think just from what, what I've studied. Um, now the audience. Uh, this is kind of an important thing, I think, uh, when, when we're studying. It's like, who's, who's the audience? Who's, who's the author talking to here? Um, the intended audience is uh, Hebrews, uh, Jewish Christians, you could even say. They're, they're definitely Messianic Jews. And they're likely those who were facing persecution that was pushing them to consider and persuading them to consider going back to the ways of Judaism and the Mosaic Law. Now, when I to talk about the time, when it was written, it's kind of important in here, I think, of who it's written to, because it could have been written to those Hebrew Christians that were facing persecution under Nero, beginning around 64 AD. Um, you know, not long after the founding of the church, uh, Romans and, and, and the governing bodies considered Christianity as just a sect or a little, a little movement within Judaism itself. And there was some friction, of course. You know, we read about it in the book of Acts a lot. Um, we read about it in the gospel. Jesus, of course, had a lot of friction between uh, what he was saying and what, what the uh, religious, Jewish religious establishment was, was talking about. Um, so there's some friction there. But uh, for the most part, uh, they got along pretty well, okay? You know, it's like, okay, these guys are over here doing their thing. We're not, going to, we're not going to pay attention to them. Maybe they'll go away or maybe they'll just die out. But as the Christian movement increased, and Jews sought, the Jews sought to persecute and resorted to violence against Christians in a lot of times. Well, in AD 45, uh, Emperor Claudius, Roman emperor, in an effort to stop potential rioting, he said, well, the Jewish people, uh, we recognize their religion, Christians, we don't recognize yours, therefore you're out of here. And he banished them from Rome. So that's the first, first 
major persecution of Christians was under Claudius. Um, now, this was temporarily lifted at the beginning of Nero's reign. Um, maybe some of you have heard about Nero a little bit. He's kind of an infamous, I guess, uh, emperor. Uh, in 64 AD, there was a great fire that destroyed much of Rome. Uh, many sources pointed to Nero as the one who instigated or sent somebody out to start the fire in the first place because he wanted to do a big building project. And the best way to do a big building project is clear the land, and what better way to do that in the uh, first century is start a big fire. So uh, the great fire destroyed much of Rome. Um, and Nero, he wanted to blame it on the Christians. But that was a good scapegoat for him uh, if that's if he was actually the one who was involved in it. He, he, definitely, he definitely blamed Christians for that. So he instigated some really, really bad persecution of the Christians, taking the new levels as they were used for entertainment by being tortured, crucified, fed to animals. Uh, some accounts even say that Nero would tie them up to poles in his garden and burn them alive to use his lamps for his garden at night. Um, so Judaism, however, was a legal religion at the time still. Um, you know, the persecution of the Jews didn't start till a, little, a couple years later there. Uh, really, really bad. Um, that's when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. But at the time, it was kind of a protected religion underneath the Roman government, and they were free to worship and perform rituals, especially in their home city of Jerusalem, where the temple was at. So here we go. You've got Jewish Christians who are being tortured, burned, crucified, fed to animals, dying horrible deaths, meeting in secret based in basements and single homes or wherever they could do it, sometimes in, in uh, uh, cisterns or wherever they could do it secretly and not be found out. They didn't have a lot of money to do any, you know, they didn't have fancy clothes or anything like that. Compare that to the Jewish religion, those who are still practicing Judaism, they've got this big, beautiful temple in Jerusalem, uh, fancy priest robes and... and uh, just you know, elaborate uh, uh, rituals that they do, and they've been passed down from their, their their guy Moses, and they've also got some protection from Rome to do all this stuff. So for some of the believers, since this was their second time around being persecuted for being a Christian, uh, they definitely had some temptation to go back away from Jesus and go back to the old ways of Judaism. So that is the audience we're, I think that we're talking about here. You've got Christians, Hebrew Christians, living in other lands, uh, thinking about, you know what, I just don't think I can take the risk anymore of being a Christian because of all the persecution and all the dying and all the, all the terrible things that are happening to our, our, our brothers. Definitely a, a temptation to go back, you know, to. Go back to so. um, purpose of Hebrews. I would say the purpose of Hebrews shows superiority of the gospel of Jesus Christ over the old covenant ways of Judaism. The new covenant, better than the old covenant. And uh, I think also a good purpose of Hebrews for me, at least, is is help my, increase my faith, in God, my faith in God's word because it ties so well the old stuff in the Old Testament to the new stuff in the New Testament. It compares and contrasts them. Uh, you know, there's no... we. Miss Sheila comes up here all the time to the kids says, 
This is the Word of God. Are there any errors in it? Nope. Everything in it is true. Uh, Hebrews, to me, helps to just emphasize that that much more, just by the way it's written. Um, so we start. So we get into the text now a little bit. That was my background. Uh, it took me a few minutes, but that's okay. Um, first of all, we talk about Jesus being better than the prophets in Hebrews one one. Says God, who is a sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. So, God's system in the Old Testament uses prophets to speak to His people. Uh, how do we know a prophet is a godly prophet? Yep, because everything that the prophet says is comes true, one hundred percent right. Um, in Numbers twelve six. Uh, and God is talking, he says, and he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak to him in a dream. So, God talks to his prophets, tells them what to say, tells them what's going to happen. The prophet then uh, communicates that to the people. And Hebrews 1, 2, it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Uh, so, the author is talking about comparing Jesus to the prophets. Um, one thing that's in that verse 2 says the last days. Says one, way, one way of Jewish tradition that, that they would divide up time periods was pre-flood, time before Noah's flood, post-flood, that's the time between Noah's flood and when the Messiah would come back, and in the last days. Uh, we Christians would say, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days pretty much since Jesus's. Uh, ascended into heaven. Um, so that's just a, a side note there. Um, but Jesus is not just another prophet who's talking to God's people. He is the Son of God, heir of all things, it says in verse 2, and everything belongs to him because he made it all. That is, is you know, you know the short version of why the author says Jesus is better than the prophets because he is not just another prophet. He is the Son of God. Everything that is made was made by him. He owns it all. He's the heir of it all. The heir of it all. So that makes him better than the prophets. Uh, the next thing he talks about in Hebrews, Jesus is better than the angels. This is Hebrews 1.5, uh, where it says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, and saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire? And verse 8 says, But unto the Son he, son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness that is a scepter of thy kingdom. I had some words highlighted in, that I highlighted in my, my Bible. It says, Thou art my son. And he didn't, God didn't say that to any of the angels. They're not his son. They're his messengers. They're his creative beings. Um, and it says, let all the angels, in verse 6, let all angels of God worship him. So the angels are supposed to worship the son. And of the angels, he said, uh, I'm going to make you ministers of a flame of fire. But unto the son, he said, oh God. I've highlighted that those two words, oh God. So right there, God the Father is saying to God the Son, Oh God, right there. They're making them the same person, the same God. Two, two different 
two different persons of the same God. Um, so them being the same, and God definitely being higher than the angels because he created them, the Son being God, the Son is better than the angels. Um, now, this is a radical idea for, for most Jews of the time because they had been brought up all their lives being taught that angels are supernatural messengers of God and they are superior to men. And then you have this man, Jesus, who's here, who, who came, um, and they recognize him as a man. How can a man be better than an angel? Well, they missed the point that he's a God-man. And so that's why it's not easier, easy for them to regard Jesus as better than the angels because they're just seeing him as a man. Many of them were. Um, so what they're missing, Jesus is the Son of God, and he is God, and that's how he's better than the angels. And then there's a warning. There's lots of warnings in this book. I'm just going to do a few of them, not a lot of them, because we don't have all the time to do that. But um, Hebrews 2.2 2 says, For the word is spoken by angels, but steadfast in every transgression, disobedience received, a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So, Comparing the messages of angels to the messages messages of Jesus, if uh, if you if the if the Jews regarded the messages of angels true, how much more should they regard the Son of God's message and His gospel? And how much worse will the consequences be if they don't believe that gospel of Jesus? So that's 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 a warning. All right, then we talked. It talks about Jesus better than Moses. So there was probably not a more revered man in Jewish history than Moses. He was the one who gave the law and even says in Numbers that he talked with God directly. In Numbers 12, 7, uh, it says, My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. Verse 8, With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, when, then, when we are not afraid to speak against and you shouldn't be, it said, Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So this was at a time when uh, uh, um, I think it was Miriam and, and Aaron were, were kind of talking bad about Moses, and God says, Hey, uh-uh. Moses is my guy. I speak to him directly. Uh, don't be talking bad about him. Uh, but even so, the relationship that God had with Moses still not better than Jesus. Hebrews 3 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So consider Jesus here. Who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. So, if, I know Roger's been working on a porch on his front, front of his house. Yeah, forever. And, uh, you know, Roger is the builder of that front porch. Now, who would ever think that that front porch is better than Roger? Because Roger's the one that built it, right? That's what they're saying here. Uh, who has built the house? How could they? How could the house have more honor than the person who built it? Uh, so if Jesus built the house, created everything, how could Moses, who's just a man, be better than Jesus? That brings us to another warning, Hebrews 3.14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So 
He's talking here about the about Moses. What did Moses do? Major, major thing he did, he gave the law, of course, but what did he do before that? He brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He led them out of that. Um, now, after that, they come out of Egypt, went straight to the promised land, right? Nope. There was hardening of hearts and provocation to the, against the Lord, and therefore, for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness, uh, and a whole generation was wiped out because of that unbelief. Um, and it says, and I'll uh, skip down to Hebrews 3.19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So the Israelites that Moses led out of Egypt wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, entire generation, except for two, two men, two, I mean, maybe their families. Uh, Joshua and Caleb died. Uh, so the whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died without seeing the Holy Land due to their unbelief. Um, so the warning is don't be a hardened person who will not hear the gospel and receive it. You know, it's it, an interesting little note here. Um, even in, when God is, is punishing or, or, or you know reprimanding his, his people, there's always this remnant. And it talks about that, I believe, in the book of Isaiah. There's always a remnant. He always has this little group that has remained faithful to him and gets to proceed and gets, gets the blessings that the rest of them don't. Um, and then and that during the case of uh, the wandering in, around in the wilderness, Joshua and Caleb were, were that remnant. So, um, the next uh, section is Jesus is better than the Levite priests. So, this is from Hebrews 5, starting verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant? And on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason thereof, he ought, as for a people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called God, as with Aaron. So, three qualifications for a high priest. Uh, first of all, first qualification taken from among men, uh, they have to have compassion. They have to be called of God. That's the three. Jesus meets these requirements that we see uh, Hebrews 5, 7. Starting Hebrews 5, 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, I highlight the days of his flesh. He was a man, so he meets that first qualification. Uh, strong crying and tears. I highlighted that because, okay, I admit I'm not a really compassionate guy. If my wife is there, I don't. My wife's probably seen me cry how many times? Maybe probably count on, on two fingers or something. So, though the high priest was supposed to be a, a, a compassionate man, Jesus, uh, we saw his compassion. Uh, for example, when he when he was right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus wept. Verses verses in the Bible um, when he was being. We have a picture up there, but we took it down for Bible school. Jesus praying in the garden, uh, crying, uh, uh, and his sweat coming off of him as, 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 as there were drops of blood. Um, he's praying to God because the Father, because that was who, who could save him from death. Um, so we, we see his compassion. 
And in verse 10, Hebrews 5.10, it says, Call the God, call of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So three things. Jesus is eligible to be a high priest because he was a man, had compassion, and called of God after the order of Melchizedek. In verse, uh, Hebrews 7.14, it says, For it is evident for our Lord sprang out of Judah, which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood, and is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, who's Melchizedek? Remember, Abraham uh, went and defeated uh, some kings that had taken uh, some of his some of his uh, people captive. He went and defeated them, took all their stuff, got all, got all his stuff back from them, and then met Melchizedek, who was king of Salem at the time and a high priest of God, or a priest of God. Uh, gave him tithes and offerings. Um, so this 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 figure of Melchizedek is kind of a, a little bit of a I'm not going to say a total mystery, but but there's some definitely some mis mysterious things about him. We don't know a lot about him. Um, like I said, we know he's a king. We know he's a priest of Salem. Salem another word for peace. And we also know that Melchizedek is not of the Levites because this is before the Levites were even in effect. Jesus is a priest like, like Melchizedek in, the, in these ways. First of all, he's a king. He's a king of the universe. He created all things. Um, God called him to be a priest forever from the tribe of Judah. Jesus was not a Levite from the tribe of Judah. So, um, Plus, talked about... Uh, after the power and endless life, well, we all know Jesus. Yeah, he died physically on this earth, but he rose again. Now he's in heaven, but in this life, that he's a priest forever because of that. So, after the order of Melchizedek, there's a lot more in chapters 5, 6, and 7 about that. But, like I said, for time, I'm just going to skim over the top of it. Um, the next section, the new covenant of Jesus is better than the old covenant. Hebrews 8, 7. For, this, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. If the first covenant was good and it was so awesome, why do we need a second covenant? Why do we need the New Testament at all? Uh, Hebrews 8, 13 it says, And then he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old, now that with the, which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. In essence, this old covenant began to decay when Israel rejected Jesus. Uh, and it vanished away for good with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Uh, some background to that in Luke 19, when Jesus in uh, verses 41 through 44, when Jesus is overlooking the the, the city of Jerusalem, um, and is and is saying, it says, uh, in verse 44 it says, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave in, in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest the time of the visitation. Jesus is saying, uh, the new covenant of him being there, since you've rejected it, now this, this whole city, along with the temple, will soon be destroyed. Um, interesting that it took about 40 years for that to happen. Similar time period that it took for those, the Jews, the Israelites in the, in the wilderness for that generation to disappear too. Um, Jesus is a better sacrifice than the Old Testament. 
Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in, in once into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? Um, in chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And then skip to verse 10, it says, But by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. So, right there, it's talking about comparing the sacrifice of Jesus to the sacrifice of all the animals that have been sacrificed over the centuries in the temple and in the tabernacle. Jesus is much better of a sacrifice of that uh, because uh, we be sanctified forever from the, by the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus being done. That's because it says once and for all. We only took that one time rather than repeated, repeated, repeated uh, sacrifices. Another warning, Hebrews 10.26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So if we know what the gospel is, we know that Jesus is the one who can save us from our sins because of his great sacrifice on the cross. Um, and we still reject that. It says there remains no more sacrifice for sins. There is no amount of animals, no amount of other sacrifices that could possibly uh, cover our sin for that rejection of Jesus. Um, but instead, uh, fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation. Judgment and fiery indignation uh, awaits those who reject Jesus. All right. Uh, so as, I'm just going to kind of to wrap up some, some more of the, the, the book here. Starting in chapter 11, uh, the author starts to encourage the audience to have faith and increase their faith. Uh, gives a lot of examples from the Old Testament. Uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So that's a pretty good list. Now, I don't know how many more examples of faith you need or anybody would need uh, to realize that just having a little bit of faith in God, or even you know, is the way to go. Okay, um, and that's what he's saying. He's saying I've I've, I've showed you the comparisons. The author saying I've showed you the comparisons between uh, Jesus and the prophets, Jesus and the angels, Jesus and Moses, Jesus and the Old Testament sacrifices, and all the rituals that they do. Um, now. Have a little faith here, just like these these, these people and the examples that I've given you here. Uh, have a little faith that the gospel of Jesus is the right way to go. Don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the to, even though even though persecution is staring you right 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 in the face. Of, you know, uh, the best choice is still Jesus. Um, and another warning: Hebrews twelve twenty five. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refuse him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So the author's saying, look, the, the, all these people have been telling you 
about Jesus and about the gospel. And if you still refuse it, how much more of a punishment is there uh, if we turn away from, from what Jesus has told us and when he shared the gospel uh, when he was on earth? Um, so in, 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 in chapter 13, it just gives more, more uh, encouragement of, of, of how they're supposed to live and the things they're supposed to do and how they should pray for people and, and be, be kind to the foreigners. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, it, like I said, this, this, this epistle is, is just comparing how much superior Jesus is to all of the old things that, that, uh, that have come and gone in the Old Testament times. Jesus has come and shared his gospel, died for our sins, rose again, now back in heaven. He left his word, that being the Bible, so that everyone would have the opportunity to hear it. And if we refuse then, we will suffer like those Israelites who died in the wilderness due to their unbelief, or maybe suffer more since the new covenant has been given. Now, I have this Bible here. Uh, when I used to go to the Gospel Center, Petersburg, uh, we had a pastor, Pastor Steve Frederick, uh, who passed away suddenly, and um, we were uh, cleaning out a lot of stuff, and his wife, Lisa, she, she approached me and said, hey, uh, he, had a big, he had a big room full, I mean, probably, I don't know. Trying to think of one of our school, one of our classrooms. It was bigger than any of our classrooms, but it was just lined with shelves, books and books. He had thousands of books, I would say. Um, and she says, she told me, she says you can go in there, any books you want, you take them. Uh, says, says we're we're not going to be able, you know, to do had to take them all with us. So, says any of them that you want, you take. Well, I took a couple things. I took a couple Bibles. This is one of my took. Um. Pastor Steve had a really, uh, it is a good practice, I think. He just marked up his Bible. He rolled all over the place. And this is probably one of the newer ones because I've seen some of his Bibles. I don't even know how he read it. There were so much marks and stuff and things highlighted everywhere. Um, so I thought, was, and, I, and I, I don't use this a lot because, this particular Bible a lot, because the things that he wrote and the notes, he, it's, it's like, what did he mean by that, you know? It's, it's when you write yourself notes, sometimes you might might you'll give me an indication what you meant, but sometimes when somebody else reads your notes, it's like this is just you might be reading might be reading a foreign language. But um, uh, there was something in here that I noticed when I was when I was looking through this Bible the other day, and it's like a little chain of, of verses that he he marked, starting in chapter seven, uh, verse twenty-five. It says in that verse, it says, Wherefore is he is able also to save them to the uttermost that came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So he's talking about Jesus here. Able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. And then it has a little note. It says Hebrews 9.12. Turn to eight. Hebrews 9.12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So that's along the same lines of salvation, good salvation verse. And it says Hebrews 10.10. 10. So down a little bit farther in the page. Hebrews 10.10, 10, they're circled. 
by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I just had that verse. And it says, Hebrews 10, 14. There's the circle. By, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then it says, verse 17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, you know, this book of Hebrews, even though it talks so much about old, the old ways and how Jesus is, is so much better than them, uh, you can see right, to, right there in chapter 7, 9, 10, 11, 12. There is a definite salvation message right in those verses right there. And like I said, there's so much depth and stuff in this book of Hebrews that I just glanced over it today. I know I've gone fast too. Hopefully you got something out of it because I went so fast. But um, definitely the gospel is preached in this book and, and that's what makes it right there is worth your time, anybody's time to really dig into it. So, um, so I'm glad to have everybody here. Um, and as always, uh, if there's any questions about salvation or or, or 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 questions about you know about how Jesus can can help it, all of us and give us give us peace and hope, uh, and especially that home in heaven someday in, the, in His presence, you know, we're always we're always available and always happy to, to spread spread the good news to you. So thanks for thanks for listening today. So let's pray and then we'll we'll leave this. We'll have a song first, then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, for your your great word and, and the things that we can learn from it, and how you speak to us through through it. Um, I would almost consider, Lord, that that your greatest gift is uh, salvation through Jesus, but maybe the second greatest gift you give us is your word, because of the way it gives us hope through and and peace for so many things that that uh, affect us in our daily lives. Uh, Lord, just just thankful for all those here today, and a uh, special blessing on them. And Lord, uh, may we be a blessing unto you in all that we do. And ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.